So let's open our Bibles uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 as we continue here our study through First and Second Samuel. I believe this is uh, message 51 or 52 in our study. And so let's look together uh, here at 2 Samuel chapter number 9. We'll look at all 13 verses. And this is the word of the Lord. Verse 1, the Bible says, Now David said, uh, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Uh, so when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will Surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, that you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. Now neither David nor nor, nor his kingdom reign was perfect. We've seen that in our study together. But what we've come to know is that through his kingship, we are seeing portraits of the kingdom of God reflected. For for example, just last week in our study of chapter 8, we saw in verse 15, some of you still have your Bibles open to it, you can just look up a few verses of verse 15, where it says that David reigned over all Israel and he administered judgment and justice to all his people. So David here reflecting the kingdom of God is serving the people through justice and equity, which reminds us that when Jesus ultimately establishes his kingdom on this earth, he will, as God's chosen king, perfectly rule in justice. He will perfectly rule in equity. 
And as reflected in David, Jesus' name will be great and he will rule with order and structure and godliness. So, so again, neither, neither David nor his kingdom is perfect. It is far from perfect as we have seen and as we will continue to see. But his kingdom does reflect the perfect kingdom of God, which is ultimately fulfilled in King Jesus, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the theme of chapter 9. The theme of chapter 9 is simply the kindness of the king. The kindness of the king. Now some have identified this scene in chapter 9 as uh, David at his best. I like that picture personally because it's just in two chapters from now in chapter 11 that we're going to see David at his worst. And we'll let that unfold as we come to it. For now, we see the kindness of the king, David at his best. And it's a reminder that God's kingdom is a kingdom of kindness. So let's, let's, let's look at these things together quickly with the time that we have left tonight. Number one, in verses one through three, we see that David expresses his desire. David expresses his desire. Verse 1 says, Now David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show him kindness? Kindness. Now I need you to understand tonight that this is more than just being nice. It's important that we... Be nice people, nice to our neighbors, nice to the guy who's going slower than us in front of us on the way of work, you know, nice to the guy that we don't like working with. You know, it's important that we uh, be, uh, be nice to people, but this is not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about niceness. What we have here is covenant kindness, covenant kindness. In fact, it's the Hebrew word hesed. We've seen it before. We'll see it often in Scripture. And it's translated in English for us, loving kindness. Loving kindness or steadfast love. It's the way that God cares for and commits His love to those whom He is in covenant with. So this this is not an out-of-the-blue niceness. This is not David sitting around one day and saying, Hey, I I wonder if uh, any of Saul's family is still still living. I think I'd like to bring them a nice cup of coffee. This is not niceness. It's it's covenant love. It's covenant kindness. A, A kindness that is based upon a covenant promise. I don't know about you, but it wouldn't surprise me at all after understanding the whole framework of the story here that if David had been sitting around this day thinking about that long and bitter battle that he had with Saul and perhaps come up with this thought, this idea, I better make sure there's no one left in the house of Saul who might come against me. Because if there's anybody left in the house of Saul that might come against me, I better, I better go ahead and try to take care of them while I can. Now, we wouldn't be surprised if that's what we read, especially knowing the history between David and Saul's house. But that's not what David is thinking at all. In fact, 
instead of finding someone in Saul's family that he could eliminate, he wants to find someone in Saul's family that he can show the kindness of God to. Verse 3, he reiterates it. The king said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? So again, we we see covenant language here. Verse 1, he said, I just want to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. We'll come back to that in a moment. But now he says, I want to show them the kindness of God. He said, is there not someone in the house of my enemy? That I can show to them the kindness of God. Well, we need to visit two previous places in 1 Samuel in order to understand this desire. You don't have to turn there, but let me read to you one in 1 Samuel chapter 20. This is when David and Jonathan make a covenant. This is a long, long time ago, by the way. A couple of decades, probably. It probably feels like that in our study of 1 Samuel. We've been here quite a while. But, but, but chronologically, this was a long, long time ago. Let, let me remind you about a covenant that David and Jonathan made. 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan says to, to David, Please show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. But not only that, I ask you that when I do die, that's what he's saying, when I do die, please don't cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. You see, even Jonathan knew that God was going to deal with his own daddy. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, and he said, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again calls David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own son. So, so a couple of decades ago, Jonathan and David have this meeting, and he says, Look, I know God's going to make you king, and God is going to deal with every one of your enemies, including my own father. I know that. But make a covenant with me, David. Remember, David and Jonathan, best of friends. Make a covenant with me, David, that you'll please not eradicate any from my house. And David made a promise. I promise you, Jonathan, I will not eradicate anybody from your house. We fast forward a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we hear, we see the coming to the end of Saul's life, and David and Saul make a covenant together. 1 Samuel 24 and verse 20 Saul says to David, I I know, I know that you're going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore, Saul says, swear to me now by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. Now let me say, because we've seen a lot of death to Saul's house since those covenants. But the record... It's clear that David himself had no involvement whatsoever in any of the deaths in Saul's household, including Saul himself. He was not involved. He wasn't even anywhere remotely near, showing us that David kept the covenant promise that he made to Saul and Jonathan. Whether it was Saul, Jonathan, that there was the battle at Gibeon where 360 people, family members of Saul, died in one battle. There was Abner, and then there was, there was Saul's final living son, Ishbosheth. When, when, when they all died, the record of God's word is clear. David played no part 
in their desk. He's been faithful to this covenant that he made. But also, a lot of time has passed since these covenants were made. A lot of time. I mentioned to it probably two decades. At least one we know for sure. Maybe two decades. But David's had a lot of time to even think about this. I wonder as it relates to you, do you ever think about the promises you've made to other people? Even after a lot of time has gone by? The kids are very good at reminding us of the promises that we made, aren't they? You said you would take me to the pool. You said we would do this. It would be easy for us to say to David that that this is not necessary, David. After all, a lot of time has passed. A lot of things have changed since you made those promises. A lot of things have happened in all of your lives since you made that covenant. But yet we learn something here, don't we? We learn that covenant love, especially the covenant love of God, it is not eroded by the passing of time. Think about the covenant we made in marriage to our spouse. For my wife and I, it's been 18 years since we made that covenant together. Maybe not as much as some of you, but a lot of time has passed for us. But yet here we are 18 years later continuing to pursue our commitment to one another even though there's been a lot of changes in our life. And why? Because we made a covenant. We made a promise to God together. And even the passing of time was not going to change David's reflection on the word that he gave to his best friend, Jonathan, and the word that he gave to his fierce enemy, Saul. Not to be responsible for the cutting off of his descendants. So here he is, a couple of decades later, and he's he's sitting there and he's thinking, There has to be somebody left in the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to. For the sake of Jonathan. For the sake of Jonathan. Again, he's doing this based upon the covenant promise that he made to Jonathan. Uh, John Woodhouse, who has held my hand through this study of uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, he's, he's an Australian a professor at a college, and I just recently got to meet him back in May at a conference in Ohio. Just a brilliant, brilliant man of helping us see the gospel centrality of Old Testament books of the Bible that we walk through together. He pointed out in his commentary here that this, this desire on David's part indicates three things. Number one, it indicates David's faithfulness to, to his word to Jonathan. In other words, this was a king who kept his promises. This was a king who kept his promises. Secondly, it indicates that this is the kind of king he intended to be. That is David. That that, that is, this was a king who showed kindness to people. It also indicates, thirdly, as Woodhouse points it, something of the very character of God. That this king, David, was like God himself in the realm of his kindness. This is his desire. So David sent for a man named Ziba. Ziba. 
I was reading that all week. I kept saying zebra. But a zebra. And I still picture this man having black and white hair. I don't know why. But he once was a servant in the house of Saul. And he inquired of Zeba if anyone in Saul's family was still alive. David is then informed about a son of Jonathan who was still living. And all, by the way, the text mentions, he just so happens also to be crippled. It's a crippled man. This is his expressed desire right now. Number two, David then takes action. David takes action, verses 4 through 6. So the king said to him, verse 4, where is he? Where is this man, the son of Jonathan? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. So the king sent and brought the man out of his house. Now it's reasonable to assume that both the existence of Jonathan's son as well as the fact that he had a disability was news to David. He didn't realize this. He he didn't know this. Now, we know about this son because we first saw him back in 2 Samuel chapter 4. His name, as spoken here in verse 7, Jonathan's son, that is, is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. When we first saw him in 2 Samuel chapter 4, it was a scene right from the middle of war. The very same battle that Mephibosheth's father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul died in and when that happened he was just a little boy a little child when his when his caregiver apparently picking him up and making a run for it so that she and Saul's son would not die the text tells us that she apparently dropped him and subsequently upon dropping him Mephibosheth became crippled. He was about five years old at the time. So he has been living his whole life with a medical condition that has prevented him from walking and possibly even standing. But now when we see him brought up in chapter 9, he's an adult. And the text later tells us that he has a child of his own. He's still dependent on the care of others. And in terms of notoriety... It seems he's, he's kind of off the radar. But David hears about him for the first time here. And he finds out he's a crippled man. And get this, friends. Nothing about what he hears causes him to second guess or hesitate on his initial desire. Now this is unusual for kings because they're very peculiar about their entourage. They want the strongest, the greatest, the mightiest. We've got to be careful who the king is seen with. But not David, no. David's kingdom is a kingness of kindness, equity. And regardless of Mephibosheth's condition, David is determined to show the kindness of God to him. So we come back to the covenant. Again, it is not about feelings of niceness. This is about covenant love. It's about covenant kindness. And what do we know about true covenant love? Well, what we know is that it always takes the initiative. That's what true covenant love does. It takes the initiative. It's never idle. It always acts. So David just doesn't express this desire to be covenant kind to one of the surviving members of Saul's family, 
for the sake of his covenant with promise, or with, with Jonathan. He doesn't just express that desire. No, he acts upon it. And he goes to Zeba and he says, go get Mephibosheth. Bring that surviving son of Jonathan back to me. You can only imagine what Mephibosheth thought when that knock came at the door that day. The king is looking for you. Can you imagine? <laughs> now, now the, yeah. President Biden's looking for you. The IRS is looking for you. They've hired all these extra employees because you've been hiding. They're looking for you. And nobody wants to see the president's or the king's entourage coming to town, knocking on the door. But here he is. It's not even his house. He's living with someone else who's taking care of him again because he's disabled. And the knock comes at the door. David's requesting him. He doesn't even have a clue about David, not in the sense of the king and his father's relationship. He doesn't even know about the covenant that was made between them. Again, he was only five years old, five years old when his father died. He barely even knew his dad. All that he had with him was just pictures in his mind of what he was like. And I'm sure since his grandfather was Saul, there was fear in his heart about how this was going to go down. Oh, you mean, you mean the King David? My grandfather's arch enemy is at the door. What does he want with me? Why has he come calling my name? And verse 6 says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his faith and face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, I, I, I wish I had more time. I don't have time to go into this, but just file this away. Go back home and look at it tonight. A change happens right here in the text. It may not mean anything. It may not mean absolutely anything. But up to this point, it's been about the king said, the king said, the king said, the king said. Now it changes when Mephibosheth is in the picture. And now it says, David said. David said. Perhaps this change of language by the narrator shows us about the intimate nature of when the king calls for his own into his family. And David said, David said, Mephibosheth? Are you Mephibosheth? And he answered, I, I believe, in trepidation. Uh, here, here, uh, here I am. You're servant. Here's the third thing. Let's, 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 let's wrap it all up with this. Thirdly, David showed kindness to Mephibosheth. He showed kindness to Mephibosheth. Verse 7, so David said to him, do not fear, do not fear. I don't want you to be afraid, Mephibosheth. And I'll tell you why. I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to show you love. Don't, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. I'm going to provide something for you and your entire family. Not because of anything you have done. We've just met. It's not because of you, Mephibosheth, that I'm doing this. But because a long, long time ago, I made a promise to your father. A promise that you don't even know anything about. And how all of it's worked out. Only I know. You don't have a clue. But here I am to say, don't be afraid. I'm going to do something for you today. 
I will. Look at what he says in verse 7. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you will eat bread at my table all the time. So a couple things. One, he says, I'm going to give you some land. Now, this land, it's, it's not kingdom land. He's not saying, okay, you're the rightful king, so you're going to get the whole kingdom. Not that land. Not, that's not what's meant by Saul's land. This is his personal private land, okay? This is Mar-a-Lago, okay? This is, this is uh, best I know how to deal with this. This is the farmlands. This is, this is Saul's private quarters. Had nothing to do with who he was as king. And so what he says here, your grandfather's private place, Mephibosheth, it's yours. The property, it's all yours. It belongs to you now. Not only that, he says, you're going to eat at my table continually, which is a very unique privilege reserved only for whom the king desired to give his personal favor. This is not your son-in-law or the neighbor down the street eating at your table all the time. This is, this is special favor. It meant that Mephibosheth would always have a seat at the king's table, that he would never be in want. He would never go without as long as he lived. And notice how Mephibosheth responds. Very fascinating to me. Verse 8, then he bowed himself down and said, What is your servant that you should look upon him as such, or such a dead dog as I am? Why would you do this for me? I'm a dead dog. He's shocked. He's shocked. What he didn't say was, well, you know, it's about time somebody recognized me. It's about time somebody paid attention to me. No, he couldn't believe what was being given to him. He saw himself as undeserving and inadequate and unqualified to have a king give a weak and broken man like himself the favor of the king's own power. Who am I? Look, I, I'm not even a dog, David. I am a dead dog. Why would you do something like this for a nobody like me? Oh, but this is about the covenant. It didn't matter that he saw himself as undeserving. He was going to receive this on the account of the promise that David made with Jonathan. You see, David is fulfilling the promise by showing the kindness of God's covenant love with Mephibosheth. Look at verse 9. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. He said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all this. I'm giving him everything. And here's what else I'm going to do. Verse 10, you're going to be a servant. You and all your boys, all 15 of them and your own servants. You're, you're going to work for him now. You're going to till that land. But verse 11, Mephibosheth, well, he's going to eat at my table like one of the king's sons. The text reminds us that Mephibosheth was an adult. He has a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba became the servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth dwelt in the city of Jerusalem. He dwelt in the city of the king. He lived there. And he ate every day at the king's table. Oh, and by the way, verse 13, he was lame in both his feet. So what's, 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 what's David doing here? He is ensuring the survival of Jonathan's descendants and Saul's line. Okay? Promise fulfilled. He kept the promise. He gave Mephibosheth residence in the city of David and provided for him servants to care for the land that now belonged to him. 
And then we see that he always ate at the king's table with special favor from the king himself. It was the most privileged position in all the kingdom. Are you listening to this, church family? We've been studying this long enough for you to already get it, don't you? He's given the most privileged position in the kingdom, one of intimate fellowship with the highest in the land. All of this was provided not to the strong and mighty of the kingdom, but to the weak and broken. Because that's what God's kingdom is made of. It's a kingdom of justice. It's a kingdom of equity where even the lame, where even the lame receive his covenant love and kindness. You see, in David's kingdom, which is a portrait of God's kingdom, Mephibosheth was welcomed, not excluded. He was honored, not despised. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 says, God speaking, On this one will I look, says the Lord, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Think about this for a moment. God says, here's the one I'm going to pour my favor on. The poor, the contrite in spirit, and the person who trembles at my word. Do you know that the same Hebrew word to describe contrite in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2 is the same Hebrew word that describes lame in 2 Samuel chapter number 9? You see, to be contrite in our spirit is to be crippled. It's to be wounded, afflicted, weak, and broken. Weak and broken. Is there anybody here tonight that feels weak and broken? And it is upon this person, yes, the afflicted, the wounded, the broken, the weak, the lame, the crippled. It's upon that person, the person who knows he is weak, the person who knows he is broken, that the king of heaven chooses to show his kindness favor could it be that the reason some of us are not trusting in jesus tonight is because we've never seen ourselves the way that mephibosheth saw himself lame weak crippled a dead dog at the bottom of the pile sinful undeserving you see this is not about god being a nice to all the people it's not it's not about that it's about his covenant kindness and love to those who believe his promise And so this is how David, at his very best, shows us a portrait of King Jesus. Think about this. Think about this. David found him, summoned him, treated him kindly, provided for his need, gave him a seat at the table, and treated him as a son. This is Jesus. He found us. You didn't find him. I saw a church slogan this week as I was randomly surfing the interwebs that said, helping people find and follow Jesus. You don't find Jesus. Jesus finds you. He found us. 
He summoned us. He, he called us through his word. He treated us kindly. He's provided for our needs. He's given us a seat at his table. And he treats us like his own sons and daughters. This is the kindness of our king tonight. Is the king knocking on your door? Oh, what's he want? Well, let me tell you what he wants. He wants you in the family. That's what he wants. He wants you to sit at his table. He wants you to move into the city of God. He wants you to know what it's like to be royalty. You see, when you've experienced the kindness of the king and you start living in his kingdom and feasting at his table, you quickly realize that God's kingdom is indeed a kingdom of kindness. And it's the king's kindness that I am to reflect in my relationship with others. Oh, it's easy to rejoice about how he treats us. But what about how you're reflecting him? Two verses, Micah 6, 8. Listen to it. What does the God require of me? Here's what he requires of me. To do justice and to love mercy. The word mercy here is the same exact word. Hesed, covenant, kindness. What does God require of you? To do justice and to love kindness. To love kindness. To love kindness and to walk humbly with God. That's in our relationship with us. Are we reflecting God in that way? How about Ephesians 4.32? And be ye kind. Covenant kindness. Be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake forgave you. You see, David was teaching his kingdom something that day. This is a kingdom of kindness. And I want you to be kind to others as I have been kind to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. It's the same challenge we have tonight. Be kind one another as God has been kind to us. For Jesus' sake. Not because we deserve his kindness. We don't. We're dead dogs. I prefer dead cat as the analogy. Dogs are a little more up in my opinion. Cat's where the bottom is. We're dead cats. We're undeserving. But he didn't do it because of us. He did it for the sake of of Jesus. The kindness of the king. Let's stand together and pray.